and welcome to This is Good for My Therapy. Sarah and Sylvie will be joining us shortly. Today we'll be talking about the case of Miles Gray. I would really like to say first uh, thank you to anybody who listens, because I don't think I've ever said that, and I I think it's amazing that people do. And um, I would like to thank Nicole's friend for sharing our podcast to other people because to other humans yes right yes, like yes, that's yes, yes. just thanks yes, yes. thank you it's great we really appreciate it oh. and uh sylvie's in a lot of pain for this episode so she's <laughs> <laughs> we should preface it with a warning so that people know what's going on <laughs> yeah there might be some there might be some swearing well there's well, always some swearing but like there might be some weird breathless swearing that seems confusing and out of place unusual today um but uh you're gonna be okay right sylvie yeah 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 so hey yes thank you people (laughs) yes absolutely for real legitimately thanks i i just i'm surprised that anybody would be interested but thank you uh today i'm gonna well i mean i'm not surprised because i'm interested in what you guys have to say so like that makes sense. Anyway, today, <laughs> today I'm going to tell you guys the story of Miles Gray, who was a successful business owner from Seashelt that tragically died in a Burnaby backyard in 2015. More specifically, he tragically died surrounded by Vancouver police officers following oh. an altercation with said officers in the oh, backyard. Yeah. On uh-huh. August 13th, 2015. Now, the date doesn't really matter. I just wanted to add it in because I said more specifically. So, so you needed to add some more specifics. Exactly. August Sorry. 13th, to be okay. precise. So in 2015, Miles was 33 years old and owned Selma Park Evergreens, which was a well-established distributor of wholesale floral greenery in Seashelt. Now, fun fact, I have actually been to Seashelt. It's where I crashed my motorcycle, took my first ambulance ride, got a metal scrub brushing uh, from a very kind nurse, and I still have a purple reminder. But uh, Seashelt sure. itself was beautiful. Yes. Minus the, the accident. <clears throat> yes. It is a small village that is about 50 kilometers northwest of Vancouver, accessible only by ferry first, and then a drive down Highway 101, a.k.a. the Sunshine Coast Highway, or where Sarah threw her motorcycle on the ground, and has a population of about 10,000 people. Okay. Just a couple. Just, yes. It's very small. It's super cute. It's unbelievably beautiful. It's just like, wow. Okay, okay, okay. So in 2015, Miles had been the owner of Selma Park Evergreens for about six years, and he had uh, purchased the company from his uncle. So it was a family business, and by all accounts, he enjoyed his life. He had a large group of friends, he was close to his younger sister and parents, and everyone that knew him described him as a soft-hearted, laid-back guy who liked to actually avoid conflict. He had no history of mental health issues, no antisocial behavior, and he didn't have a criminal record. And August August 13th started out just like any other Thursday for miles, regular Thursday deliveries to floral wholesalers in Vancouver and Burnaby. So he would have to travel down the highway, take a ferry, 
and then drive through <clears throat> and make his deliveries. Now, it wasn't unusual for him to go on walks between his deliveries. It was actually well known because he'd text his friends as he walked along the trails. And you've actually been here, so you know how beautiful our trails are, right? Oh, they're gorgeous. Right? So, like, if you have yeah. the chance and you're driving around all day and you can stretch your legs for, like, half an hour or whatever and go for a little walk, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, on that afternoon, just like many others, Miles parked his van behind a florist supply store in the 3900 block of Marine Way in Burnaby and headed towards a nearby park. One of the workers at the florist store saw him leaving with his headphones in and waved. From here, there are things that are known and lots that aren't. But for sure at some point as he was walking, he went past a lady watering her lawn on Marine Drive. And at this time, Metro Vancouver was under a stage three watering restriction. It was well known at, at the time in 2015. And stage three means that you're not allowed to like water your lawns or anything like that. Like plants, yeah, you can do that. But also as a landscaper, he would know that it's not very wise to water your plants in the middle of the day in August. So this is at like 2.30 in the afternoon on, in the middle of August, right? So it'd be mm. very hot. And um, I would well, tell you. What was the temperature that day? <laughs> I don't know, but I will, oh, I will look it up. Back, Sarah. I will. But I can <laughs> what tell you. What did she have in her garden? <laughs> I don't know because I don't know her name. And oh. I don't know actually what house it was. So anyway, it, something happened. He walked past this lady. And uh, the only people that will ever truly know what was said are the lady, Miles, and the lady's son. But Miles' dad suggests that Miles was a joker and might have said something about the woman not being allowed to water her lawn as he went by. But what is known is that at 2.30 p.m., Vancouver police officers were called to 3600 Southeast Marine Drive. So they didn't get an address. It's just the block. That's where they go. <clears throat> they were called there after a verbal exchange with a man uh, because the because he was using she was using her hose. Now, the VPD were responding to reports of a distraught man causing a disturbance. So that's what they were responding to when the person called 911 they explained the situation and you know Sylvie when we called the non-emergency line what they put Monty in as right like a great yeah, stole in Monte Carlo there's <laughs> some stuff I someone stole my cat what color gray and white yeah <laughs> and then hello we were reported a stolen 1974 gray Monte Carlo. What? No. <laughs> it's my cat. Right. So we know what can happen, but the, the VPD were responding to reports of a distraught man causing a disturbance. And by 4 p.m., Miles was dead in the backyard of a, on the 8300 block of Joffrey Ave. So it's about a 10-minute walk away from the original verbal altercation. Okay. After what can only be described as a failed arrest attempt by seven Vancouver police officers. Huh? So the Independent Investigations Office investigated this incident and determined that there were reasonable grounds to believe that the officers may have committed offenses. And they submitted a report to the BC Prosecution Service. Now, I found the report 
and it mm -hmm. paints a very different picture of Miles on that day. But as there were no civilian or independent witnesses, it is purely based on the reports and testimony of the officers involved. It states that on the afternoon of August 13th, Mr. Gray was walking in the area of Southeast Marine Drive where he encountered a local resident. And during the exchange, he took her garden hose and sprayed her with water. Her son, who observed the incident, called 911 out of concern. The lady and her son described Mr. Gray as agitated and disturbed with incoherent speech. The first VPD officer to respond was driving a police wagon alone and arrived at 3.12, which was about 33 minutes after the 911 call. In that time, the son who had called 911 had been following Miles as he had apparently been walking back and forth on the street, yelling stuff and threatening to hit him. Now, the first officer who arrived describes Mr. Gray as initially cooperative and interacted coherently, but became agitated when she mentioned the incident with the hose. He started approaching her, pointing at her badge, and so she got back into the van to call for backup. Mr. Gray attempted to pull down the driver's side window and open the door, so she told him to back off, which he did. The officer then describes Mr. Gray ascending, the nearby, ascending nearby steps to a raised yard of a residence, where he shouted, Welcome to the jungle! From there, two officers arrived at 318. Now, the first responding officer told them Miles was very aggressive, and within one minute of the officers arriving, all three walk into that yard. Now, the police radio broadcasts <clears throat> indicate Mr. Gray was handcuffed and unconscious at 327. Two additional officers had arrived at 324, and two more at 326. Now, at some point prior to being handcuffed, Mr. Gray was taken to the ground and hobbled, which is a strap that they actually put around your ankle, but it's not locked, so if his hands weren't handcuffed, he could very well be going for the hobble yeah. to get it off. Yeah. Okay. So shortly after he was hobbled, Mr. Gray regained consciousness and began struggling. He was restrained again and fell into unconsciousness at 341. He was not able to be resuscitated and was pronounced dead at 4.21. A post-mortem exam was completed, disclosing numerous injuries, but it couldn't establish a definitive cause of death. The forensic pathologist documented the following injuries to Mr. Gray. Numerous areas of bruising, most dense, dense over the left thigh and right arm, and with many bruises showing injuries consistent with having been caused by a rigid object, consistent with a police baton. Bruises and lacerations to the face, a fracture of the right orbital, a fracture of the right nasal, possible partial dislocation of the joints of the jaw on both sides, very localized bleeding within the subdural space over the brain, bruising within the muscles of the neck, he, was, he had a focally fractured laryngeal skeleton with adjacent hemorrhage. Nicole, could you tell us what that is? <laughs> or do you want me to? I looked it up. I, I would. I think that you should let them know. <laughs> no problem. It's a broken voice box, which is, uh, occurs 80 to 90% of the time in motor vehicle accidents or through blunt force trauma. 
uh, it requires considerable impact force and can actually be a cause of asphyxiation on its own. But uh, he also had a fracturing of the inner rear part of the right third rib with adjacent hemorrhage, hemorrhage within both testes, and a fracture to the upper sternum, which was a possible resuscitation-related injury. So he, 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 uh, he was in a little bit of pain, just like... I think you're really wrong. <laughs> you're when you said the word shattered testes, he wins. Both testes. Both testes, yeah. Like no no. That uh that's a lot. Right? Yeah. Especially if he was hit hard enough for there to be a subdural hemorrhage. So we had just figured or found out about the 11 documented injuries to Mr. Gray. And uh, some officers in the arrest sustained minor injuries too, right? Like you would expect for this guy to be that damaged. Somebody else had to be really hurt too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody. All that. Before you step on my lap. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Well, now the moment is lost. I was about to be like, yeah, you know, when you're beating someone that hard, you're bound to get a couple of injuries. Well, I mean, in in the event that the officers are saying he's struggling so much that they can't subdue him, then somebody had to be hurt, too. uh, The medical records will indicate that one officer had been punched on the left side of his face, and he had a small cut under his chin. Another officer had a five centimeter laceration on his forehead, but it was not actually due to the altercation. It was apparently due to a low hanging tree. Yeah. Okay. So the radio transmissions from the police and GPS data from police vehicles provide some objective evidence of the timeline of events in this critical 10 minutes when the additional officers arrived on scene. So the accounts of the seven officers prior to 3.28 p.m. provide incomplete and in several respects inconsistent accounts of the detail and sequence of events between 3.18 and 3.28. While all officers describe Mr. Gray as resisting and offering a threat to officers present, present, Accounts of what he and the officers actually did at each stage of the encounter vary considerably. With limited exceptions, the officers would only speak to their own use of force and wouldn't describe the actions of others. Mm. So, Mm. the report actually reads, In many respects, the contradictions between officers' accounts in key areas are incapable of resolution such that it is difficult to determine a coherent narrative of events between 318 and 328 and with any reasonable degree of confidence. So what that means is the stories don't line up. They, They can't figure out what went down because the stories don't line up. And get this. The officers involved, none of them kept any notes about what oh. happened. Convenient. And they didn't enter the incident in the database 
until five months later. Also, even getting interviews with the officers involved proved difficult. The IIO had to actually go to the Supreme Court to force the officer who initially responded to the 911 call to sit for a second interview, which held up the investigation for a long time. Yeah, like five months. Longer, but yeah. So despite the inconsistencies, it's relatively clear that during the 10 minutes between 318 and 328, so like when the first two responded to the first responding officer, when those first two got there, within that 10 minutes, Mr. Gray broke free from attempts to handcuff him and after an altercation was taken to the ground with a bear hug, where he was restrained and hobbled prior to being handcuffed. Now, it's also clear that during this time, Mr. Gray was subjected to several instances of the use of force by one or another VPD member. So these include the use of pepper spray, repeated baton strikes to the legs and lower body, neck and head restraint, foot, knee, and closed fist strikes to the back and upper body, and closed fist strikes to the head and face. The report states that officers' accounts as to the degree of resistance and threat Mr. Gray offered in this period are inconsistent, although all say that he was resisting and not compliant with handcuffing. The pathologist was unable to determine one cause of death, but rather stated Mr. Gray's death was multifactorial, caused by asphyxia and or compromised cardiorespiratory function due to forcible restraint and or the position of the deceased's body, possibly involving the compression of the chest and or abdomen, the effects of pepper spray, other injuries sustained, agitation, physical exertion, and even though Miles had no illegal drugs in his system, toxicology found the drug mitragynine or kratom in Mr. Gray's blood. Well, what is Kratom, you wonder? It is, I do. It is from a tree native to Southeast Asia, Indonesia. Actin, and sorry, according to Health Canada, it is a herbal supplement that could pose serious health risks after it was linked to 91 deaths in 2017 in the U.S. Apparently, historically, there were even Kratom products on the Canadian market. In 2017, it was seized from two stores in Edmonton. <laughs> Yeah, Edmonton. Yeah, Edmonton. Um, What do people use it for? So it's a herbal remedy and at the time was probably being sold in uh, like herbal supplement stores. Probably like a For what? We don't know. It doesn't say. Probably for anything. Knowing herbal supplements being like, because they had like green tea for a while there. Green coffee. There was like green bean coffee something for a while. It's like yerba mate. You get all of the whatever. So the mitragynine plant is supposed to act like a stimulant. And so you could market it for many things like weight loss or um, maybe focus, you know, like maybe it's in a five hour energy drink. We don't know. Anyway, (laughs) but there was the toxicology in the pathology report says that it was a recreational dose or like not something that would have been enough to kill him. So Kratom is on the list of maybe potential contributors to the death, but it's not necessarily like, oh, yeah, that's for sure what killed him. It was probably a supplement that he took that they didn't even think about. Like, I I, call me jaded, if you will. Okay. But 
I feel like the cause of his death is kind of spelled out pretty clearly. Doesn't like, it seem that way? It could yeah. be a contributing factor, though, in, like, it probably didn't help things. Like, so, I'm not saying that that was, like, he took this supplement and that's why he died. I mean, like, obviously, he had suffered um, quite a bit of blunt force trauma. And that probably didn't help either. But it probably was, like, they might have thought that it was a contributing factor. So he put it in there because it was found in his blood. And what I actually think is that the they were trying to set it up that he was acting bizarrely you know like oh no he was crazy he was showing a superhuman strength we had to use all of our capacities to subdue him and uh when they find something in in there they have to put it in right like well we did find metrogenine in his blood so we don't and because there's not as much evidence here there's no scientific research as to what it does to the body we just know the 91 people who died had you know certain amounts in their body so we extrapolate that that would have to be in line so his dosage was not the same but uh i understand why it has to be there on the list and it does seem like the other things might have been more contributing to his death at that time Mm -hmm. because maybe he took kratom for months before this and maybe lots of people did and didn't end up beaten by the police and asphyxiated to death. So the yeah. BC Prosecutor Service did not approve charges for the officers involved because despite inconsistencies, the officers all described Mr. Gray as continuing to offer significant threat and level of resistance even after he was hobbled. They all say he was not under control. He was continuing to defight and display remarkable strength. Given those statements, there is no reasonable prospect of proving that their individual responses were excessive. To this day, the names of the six VPD members are unknown, even to the family. The only officer who we do know is the first responding officer, Constable Hardeep Sahoda, who, if you remember, was actually compelled by court in 2017 to speak to the IIO as she refused to sit for a second interview. Basically, because there are no independent witnesses or video of the altercation, it's impossible for the BC prosecution to prove that it was excessive for the officers present to continue successively to use of force against him given the undisputed evidence that Mr. Gray continued to strongly resist arrest throughout. I have to ask, was Mr. Gray um, a person of color? No. No, he's a Caucasian man. And he's not that large. He's five foot nine, like 180 pounds. So here's the problem. Okay. Well, there's many problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, since the BC Prosecution Service did not criminally charge the VPD officers, now the OPCC, or the Office of the Police Complaint Commission, is investigating whether any disciplinary action should be taken. So, there's a, actually a disciplinary conduct investigation ongoing which had been ordered in 2015 when the incident occurred, but it couldn't begin while the criminal investigation was underway. And it took so long for the criminal investigation because they refused to sit for it, didn't write any notes, and uh, their stories are so inconsistent that they can't figure out what the heck happened. 
Here's here's the problem. Without opening up a whole fucking can of worms, I'm going to open up this can of worms. Um, But here's the problem with policing. Let me break it down for you. (laughs) I am not saying that there is not a certain need for policing in, in certain respects, but the problem is police are held to such a hero level by society. There's this, but here's the problem when you're, they're held to this idea that like, you cannot question what the police are saying, right? Like the police are saying they were, there was a direct threat and there's no question to that. The police say it, so it's got to be true. And we're just going to let it happen. And because there were no witnesses to say otherwise, nothing further is going to be done. Like the police's names aren't going to be released, blah, blah, blah. Even though for all intents and purposes, you have a mild-mannered fucking florist who had never been in trouble with the law and had no illegal substances in his system, who was going to stroll and ended up beaten to death by seven cops. And there's this, there's this, there seems to be this divide. We're saying like, if you, if you question those police, you question all police and this like, you know, and you're clearly a crazy Antifa member, you know, (laughs) like there's this, there's this divide that where people where it's like, you can't, it's like, you can't. Like, what, whatever your views are on policing and the system, and I mean, it's hard because there's a lot of evidence about policing systems in the States, and I feel like even as Canadians, we hear more about that than we do about our own policing system. Absolutely. But there's definitely a lot of instances within the Edmonton City Police that make me go, oh! Yes. Absolutely terrible. That's bad. And here's the thing. I'm not looking to get into a debate about about the necessity of police and any of that. But what I am saying is if if you make it impossible to even question, like if you even say as a person, what happened, anyone can see in that scenario, something was not right like there was something that there was force that was being used excessively and i would argue at any point in many stories like this where whether or not the person ends up killed or not there's a lot of the force being used was excessive and that's i don't care if he was a mild-mannered small florist with no illegal drugs in his system or a giant scary raving lunatic it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) because we have a police force that's supposed to be trained to take them down and she called for backup to help and it it just feels like yeah you're absolutely right and that's the thing and it becomes this problem where it's like you can't even question that without it turning into a well you're clearly a crazy antifa i'm like maybe fuck you but like there's a reason that we need to hold our police to higher standards. Police need to be held to a higher standard. Police need to be held accountable. And I understand that it is a high pressure situation and it 
a dangerous occupation. There is a lot of there's a lot of potential for danger and risk. And I do believe I don't believe that the police should be doing like the police shouldn't be responsible for all the things they're currently responsible for. Absolutely. But when they're called to something, there should be a reasonable expectation that the person isn't going to end up dead if they are unarmed. And even if he was on drugs, how many people are on drugs out there? Like it's irrelevant. Like that's what it gets to me. Like, and it's in debates about police brutality um, a lot, like not to, I mean, you could pick and choose any number of, of cases. There's so Um, many. (laughs) There are so many, but because everyone knows about it, like it's, it was kind of hard to ignore George Floyd. Mm -hmm. To me, anytime someone starts to use the, these drugs they found in his system and he did this, it doesn't fucking matter. Regardless of whether or not you can trust that result or what they're saying or this or this or this, none of that matters. It is irrelevant. There is no reason that if, unless you are in an armed standoff that, cause like, okay, did you hear about Sarah a few months, maybe like four, four or five months ago? It might've been longer. Time has no meaning right now. And I can't Mm -hmm. remember the name and I can't remember exactly where. Fuck. It was in, it was in a small community, not like outside of Edmonton. Okay. Where a man went into a doctor's office. Yes. And he killed him. And it was Red Deer. Yeah. Red Deer. Thank you. I'm like, it was somewhere outside of Edmonton that was smaller. Um, and like, because this is the thing. That is a very high pressure situation. There is a man, like an armed man who has killed somebody, who is holding other people hostage, who is... You know, doing this, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that use of force is good in any case. Like, you know, I'm not using this as a case to be, like, pro-police or anti-police or whatever. But the responding officers in that scenario got into that building and took that man down without killing him. Right. And he was an actually emotionally disturbed man with a weapon who had just murdered somebody and they were able to enter that situation and there was no there was not a question of whether or not they'd be able to de-escalate it they weren't going to be able to de-escalate it but they were able to go in there and (laughs) end the situation without somebody else dying absolutely and apprehend the criminal and and apprehend and take him in, and now that person is going to be held accountable in whatever way they need to be held accountable. Um, but, like, and again, and you know what? I will use other examples that from here are very, like, I feel like every Alberta knows about the Greyhound yep. situation. And again, you had a situation with someone who was mentally unwell, who was agitated, who was in the middle of break, who had murdered somebody and the police were able to respond to that situation and not kill him. And so, you know, even if they, 
sorry. No, no, you go. So you go. No, I was just going to say like, so it's not that it's possible standard to get to. And I do understand that they're often put in dangerous situations and they do face people who are armed. They face people who are unwell. They face people who are, who have taken different narcotics. They face people who have mental illness. They face people who are just not good people. Absolutely. But, and I'm not saying that they should not protect themselves, but they also need to be held accountable. Exactly. So that's exactly what I was going to say. They, if you're involved in an incident, I do think that police officers require more support in their job. Um, Like I believe that there should be more training on conflict resolution and um, when, when use of force is appropriate. Um, I believe things like body cams are huge because it not only does it protect them if they're in a situation where maybe there's several people who are saying that this happened and they're like, no, this is what happened. Or if it is a situation like with Mr. Gray, where the, where we really don't know what happened and things were filed months out, then they have a record of what's going on. But I believe that there should be more support because police officers shouldn't be the first thing that we phone when there is a mental health break. But well, I don't I even know if this was I a mental health I understand. I understand. Even if it isn't, or like in a, some sort of mental break, it happens. It happens to people. Uh, apparently, no history of mental illness. It can happen. Fine. But I get it as, as like, an individual, I have seen some stuff like in my building, for example, where it's like, police don't seem like the people I should call. The situation that's happening is something that like requires someone else. And I get that. Like police are that first line, right? So you call because someone is having, someone is mentally unwell and they're having a psychotic break, maybe cool you call the police they subdue that person is not responding well well why aren't there also like psychiatrists on call why aren't there medical professionals on call who can also assess that like it shouldn't be the police be all and end all for emergency first response well and here's here's the thing is like in edmonton we do have a mental health emergency team the problem is, is that there's, it's that officers do not have training, or I do not believe that they have adequate training when it comes yeah. to it, um, on how to deal with that and when to get them involved. Yeah. Like there are officers well, that and- are trained and work with that team, and but they don't necessarily like. If you're phoning nine one one, they don't necessarily know to to um, based upon what's going on to uh, connect to that team. Yeah, but I mean, like all you of have that to be very specific in what you bigger. I feel like all of that too comes down where it comes back to the you can't question police without it turning into a debate about policing policies because I feel like, for example, the the tagline that has become associated with so much of it, which is defund the police, is very misunderstood because people, most people who 
feminists talk about that and use that, me being one of them, aren't talking about saying a police force. It is about, like you're saying, providing adequate training and providing alternate outreach systems when it is that case. So that A, police officers know how to respond correctly, know how to identify threat levels, know how to act without it being a you know, a be-all, end-all, I have to kill this poor person or they will kill me. And, 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 can, when, and connecting them with do, other people in the in the community, too, that can help them and support them, like social workers, yeah. psychiatrists, and when, when nurses. do arise that the police, regardless, maybe, maybe in the case, and in some cases, it is something that in, they would be found to be justified in in like the amount of force they use but regardless of that they still need to be held accountable like if you are an officer and you have grievously injured or killed somebody you shouldn't just be given uh like a free pass regardless of the situation that arose for that that should be investigated that should be yeah it should be investigated by an outside source and it should be determined whether or not that was valid and frankly if you're the type of person who is going to just use excessive force there should be ways to ensure that you never even get on a police force to begin with uh, except we know that they're created through the like the ways that the through police the system, forces but yeah so now that we've solved the policing problem the only yes, thing i'd like to say about this one in particular was the fact that the police officers don't even follow the procedure that they are supposed to follow afterwards. Yeah. Like you don't document everything that you did because you know you did something wrong. Because they know they did something wrong. Exactly. And what and you said, you know Sylvie. holding them accountable for it. What you said. And just because being... they have a bath. Sorry, 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 sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. No, you go. What was it? No, no, I was just ranting. Go ahead. I caught myself. <laughs> well, you actually, you already said it. Because oh, there, sorry. no, there is what happened was an independent investigation. Yeah. Uh, did happen. It's not the RC, not the RCMP, not the VPD. It's the IIO that was investigating this, but the police officers were never named. They were not ever suspended. Like when an incident like this happens, those officers should be held to the same criminal standards that we hold normal criminals to. It really, in my opinion, even if we don't hold them to a higher police officer standard, their story should still match. If yeah. their story doesn't match, then those are huge red flags for those officers, and they should no longer be allowed to continue to police, but it's been six years. And we... Yeah. And, that is my problem. Like, I understand that there are lots of problems that we could talk about fixing in the police. Yeah. But this one case in particular, where there are six officers in Vancouver who yeah. don't even can't even tell a consistent story. And like, so what is the reason why you wouldn't sit for a second interview? You don't want to, you're too busy. A guy died, man. Like you can't give yeah. out an afternoon well, of your like, time. In in my profession, like if if somebody died and it was because of a mistake and an investigation happens, part of my professional board says that I have to give testimony. I can't just say no. 
like I would have to give testimony. I would be investigated. Yeah, exactly. And so they know that they're being investigated, but for some reason they thought they didn't have to sit for an interview. They sat for one. They don't have to sit for a second. But it's like, dude, your stories didn't match. We have to talk to you again. What happened? Yeah, someone is dead. Like, Somebody is dead who was not just like, and it sounds terrible, but like, he, uh, yeah. 33 years old, just sprayed a lady with a hose. Did he deserve to get beaten to death? I don't know if you guys have experienced pepper spray. <laughs> you have? No. Oh. No, no, no. I just don't. I t- that's not something I feel like I want to experience. Never, never in a million years while you're getting beaten at the same time. Like, just the very logic of him being able to fight back. (sighs) Even if he was a giant man, there are six other officers, not including the one lady who was there. That was the original first responder. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, Sarah. I think. I think that's a valid point. I just... And I think it's, um... And maddening. Especially because... because... <laughs> Sorry, go you go. No, no, you go. I, forgot, I have a feeling we were going to say the same thing. No. Or something similar. Probably not. <laughs> well, I was going to say, especially cause, because, like, if you said, if you think about it, if this was... This guy happened to do this and the same situation arose, but it was the woman with the hose and her son who had been involved and had administered those injuries, but their stories didn't line up. Would they have just ignored it? Exactly. Absolutely. That's a very good point. There's no way. Exactly. And if their stories didn't line up, they'd keep talking to them. They'd dredge up the past. They'd be like, oh, let's check their history. What have they been into? But like, yeah. What's their history of violence? What's their history of criminal offense? Like, yep, exactly. Because and- someone is dead, but because the people involved were police officers, they just have to go based on the stories that they all said that were all different and didn't quite align. So the IIO basically is like, dude, something is up. Like, there should be charges. Something went wrong. Like, this was excessive, basically. And then the BC Prosecutor Service, they're the ones that have to decide if there's a reasonable chance of... You, like, disappeared as you were clearly about to make a point. I don't even remember what I was saying. I have no idea where I went. Like, what I was... Yeah, it's gone. (laughs) I'm sure it was going to be insightful. Probably not. Yeah. It's no big deal. It's just insightful, Sarah. You but, usually are. But that was it. That's my story. Still no. Oh, I just feel like, listen, if you're involved in some sort of altercation like this and you're a police officer, you should be put on, like, leave while they're yeah, investigating. Well, happens. I agree. Like, that's that's how the investigation should happen. So, like, mm. we don't need to fix the police force and give them more money or training or anything. We could just literally tell them that if somebody dies while they're, <laughs> you know, kind of around them or 
arresting them or whatever, they're going to be put on suspension pending the investigation. And maybe that might make them take better notes, sit down yeah for the interviews, make themselves available, you know, just, just, yeah just, yeah maybe we're invest we're investment into things like body cams but you know the body cams they're never on when they need to be and sometimes if we take some american uh examples into case sometimes they are on and the story that they tell doesn't seem to be the same as the story that the police are telling and yet somehow Yeah, it doesn't matter. It goes back to the, you can't question what they say. Yeah. And sorry, yeah. that's like when they catch you speeding. They can mm -hmm. say, oh, they were going 160. And it's like, what? No, I was going 110. It's your word versus the cop. And mm -hmm. the cop is, has the, you know, training and they trust them. Yeah. It's like, like you said, you can't question it. It's what they, and that would be fine if all cops were good. Or if they were all held to the same standard. So yep. if, if you have notes of the incident, okay, <laughs> we can mm -hmm. work with that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But they're not. No, because not all people are like that. No. And then you get into the argument of like, well, you can't, you know, you should you be a cop. I don't, sorry, I'm not going to get into that argument. I can't. I'm too tired. My brain can't function right now. I'm sorry. It's fair. It's fair. I got it. I think it's fair to expect a higher standard from people who are put in positions of power. Exactly. That's what and I don't, and I don't think that it takes anything away from this them. This is the name standard. And I also think you can still have respect for something that and for a position and understand its importance while questioning it Agreed. And, and critiquing it Absolutely. you can have you can say i think that this job is important and there are things that they do that we need and there are going to be times like there have been times in my life when i've needed them absolutely so, And how and, lucky. And that, like, and I am lucky that I was able to get that. And I am lucky that I've had friends and did it when it's been there. And that's great. And I can have respect for that. But when someone does something wrong, they've done wrong is so bad. And obvious. That dead. They should, like, at the very least, same standards. Right? Yeah. I guess... like you, can't blind, you can't blind the importance of what police as a whole do to the actions of select police officers who have done something wrong. And with that, we end our discussion of the case of Miles Gray. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Mr. Big.